Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Make it's Making Monsters with Taylor Dahl. It's like beer and brats, a perfect combination. You know the deal. All right, welcome back to another episode of Making Monsters. I'm Taylor Dahl, and uh, we are two weeks into the Chicago Bears season, and so far it hasn't been an ideal start for the Bears, but there has been some little glimpses of fun things that have happened offensively and defensively. A lot of the Bears' concerns this offseason were that defensive front. Uh, Ryan Poles, probably one of his underrated pickups this offseason in free agency was Andrew Billings. A, a lot of people know he was uh, know him from the Bengals. He was drafted by the Bengals. But I'm here today with Coach Marty Herbst. He's the former high school coach at Waco, at Waco High School. And so, uh, Coach, thanks so much for hopping on with me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I know uh, you are now officially retired from the high school f- uh, football coaching world, which I'm sure is a big change because we know how much work you guys put in into high school football. I'm here in Florida, so I know how much they put in there and here. Um, I, so I can't even imagine the Texas football world out there for high school. Well, after 32 years, I thought that was enough and uh, been retired for a couple now and uh, really enjoying it. Certainly missed the kids, missed the game, but uh, got to move on and turn it over to somebody else sometime. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, let's go ahead and start talking about Andrew Billings a little bit. Uh, he's had a, a really good start so far here in Chicago. In, uh, in two games, he's been he's had three stops, six hurries, a QB hit, seven pressure. Um, PFF ranks him 87 overall, and he's graded on a 90.5 in the, pu- in the pass rush grade, which was a major downfall of the Bears last year was that pass rush and being able to get to the quarterback at all. And Billings are just a little bit of a bright spot right now for Chicago when it comes to that. I'm not quite where we want them to be as as a whole but him personally he's really had a good start and that's why I'm doing this episode today to kind of highlight who Andrew is and how he got to the NFL uh, so let's it starts at high school so let's go ahead take me back to the beginning coach when was the first time you saw Andrew Billings and what were your thoughts about him when you saw him on the football field for the first time first time I noticed Andrew he was coming out of middle school uh, we didn't get to see a lot of uh, the middle school games because they were playing while we practiced but during the off season, we had power lifting, and that's something that he uh, obviously succeeded in. And uh, seeing him power lift in the eighth grade and uh, seeing how strong he was and how hard he worked, we were excited to get him uh, up into the high school the next year. And then we got to see him every day. And, you know, it's it's an honor to have coached a kid like this. Normally your best, your best players are high maintenance and troublemakers, and you spend <laughs> half your day – uh chasing down the hall and getting them in class and those types of things but andrew was different andrew he just did everything right i mean he was a he was really a quiet kid but uh fierce competitor great character you know after coaching him four years i mean he's just exactly what we 
exemplify or try to teach as, as coaches uh, how we want our players to be. But uh, worked hard there every day. Uh, luckily, uh, didn't have any injury issues, but just worked hard and got better every day. Which is obviously what you love to hear, that determination and working hard. And you love the not trouble side, too, because like you said, sometimes uh, uh, surrounding the star athletes become a little bit of you have to wrangle them in a little bit and work a little hard to get them to just kind of cooperate and play football. But he obviously, Coach, when you're in high school especially, a lot of these guys play multiple positions. And from what I've read on Billings, he played offensive line and defensive line, um, which is common. But it kind of looks like obviously he stuck to that defensive role, and that's what he was majorly recruiting for so what did you guys see in him that really geared you towards keeping him um, on that defensive side and really that being his strong point well when he was a sophomore he started in the offensive line for us and didn't play any defense and in the offseason after that year going into his junior year he said coach I he says I'll do whatever it takes to help the team but I'd really like to play some defense uh, giving him up in the offensive line is something we couldn't do he was just a bulldozer in there but we decided to play him both ways, and we didn't start him on defense, but we we played him when we needed him as a junior, and you know he just uh, increased his uh, his uh, conditioning, and by the time he was a senior, he was able to uh, play both sides of the ball pretty much the whole game. Wow. Well, that's impressive. I, I will say right now we have some offensive line struggles, so maybe we need to see if Andrew still has some offensive line uh, play left in him. Uh, the strength, that is a big thing that has been talked about about Andrew Billings since high school. And he broke a powerlifting record of Mark Henry's, which uh, I didn't know the name, but I, it's a WWE guy who I guess is known as the strongest man in the world at one point. I don't know if it still is. I don't know how all of that works. But Andrew Billings broke that powerlifting record while he was in high school. Tell us a little bit about that and just how he was able to use his strength to leverage him on both sides of the line when it comes to in those trenches. Well, it's hard to it's hard to give up strength, but Andrew certainly uh, was strong. Uh, Mark Henry's record stood for 22 years, and I think Andrew benched uh, 505, deadlifted 705, and squatted 800 pounds. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> going up through the state powerlifting meet, you know, you don't put 800 pounds on on a guy's back in, in practice or in the weight room when you're training. Uh, but we had to make sure he could at least stabilize himself. So I remember that day, oh, a good week or so before the, the final meet, just just uh, having everybody in the program spotting because that's 800 pounds he's picking up there. But yeah. just something that uh, – I can't say it came natural to him, but because he did work hard at it. It mm-hmm. wasn't what he didn't, but uh, uh, that record has since been broken a few times, but it did stand for 22 years when he did break it. Wow, that's honestly incredible. And obviously when you are working those offensive line and defensive line positions, that strength and the strength is a big part of it. Being able to anchor your strength is also a big part of it. And obviously he's been able to be successful in both of those. Was there a moment, Coach, where in high school while he was playing where you were watching him, whether it be on the O-line or a D-line, a certain maybe big game for you guys where you were watching him and you're like, man, this guy is going to go on and play college football, NFL football. Did you ever have that thought? Did you see that with Andrew Billings? even back then we did see the college in his future uh unfortunately during the recruiting season things were kind of slow uh early on and 
didn't pick up to the very end after he won the state tire lifting meet and those kinds of things. But, you know, recruiters came by every day and we'd give them our list and it had uh, all the information on there that they needed from uh, their GPA and such. By the way, he was a he was an all-state player in high school, but he was also all-state in academics. Wow. So, uh, but uh, just... Uh, just worked hard. We knew he would. The recruiters would come by. We try to, I'm not going to say pushing, because uh, if you're not honest with those guys, they're not going to come back. Yeah. But uh, it took, uh, wow, I think TCU was the first one to, to really notice him. And then Baylor jumped in and so on. Yeah. Uh, it was a funny, uh, right before signing day, it was actually the day before signing day, the Local ESPN radio wanted him to make the announcement online, something that most most of your listeners aren't going to be aware of. But uh, so I I uh, we leave school and we go over there during the lunch hour and we meet his dad and we're out in the parking lot and uh, I said Andrew, I told you when we started this recruiting process that we were here for you, but in by no means were we going to insist or encourage you to go somewhere this is your life and it's something you have to do but now's the time you're going to go announce it in five minutes uh where are you going to go <laughs> and uh he uh he told his dad and i the name of the school he was going to go to and it was not baylor oh wow so his dad and i go into the side room and we're listening to the to the announcement and he uh he says, I'll be happy to, uh, I'm going to be playing the next four years at Baylor. <laughs> and his dad and I just looked at each other like, what in the world's been going on? But uh, <laughs> we're glad he did. Uh, we were able to see him play since he stayed in Waco and played at Baylor. We were able to uh, see him play more than than had he left town. Yeah, definitely. So was that he just wanted to surprise you two also, or did, was it a change of a change of heart that at that moment. Well, he was on the phone as we were all going into the building and, and, uh, he had told us one thing and was continued on the phone call until he walked into the studio for the announcement. And, uh, in that amount of time he changed, Wow. which, uh, which is not like him. He's a highly organized person, lays things out, knows what he, what he needs to do and gets them done. But, uh, we're, we're glad he, uh, whoever was on the other end of that call, we're, we're glad he made it. Yeah, let's talk about just uh, that recruiting process a little bit. He was a four-star prospect coming out of high school, ranked 252 out of ESPN's top 300. So what was that whole process? You said a little bit it was slow to begin, um, and it's a lot for a lot of kids during that moment because they're they're choosing a school to go to, but they're also choosing almost their future. And beyond that, if they do have any thoughts of the NFL, a lot of times those things are factoring in also. So what was his mindset through all of that? Was he calm through the process? Was he a little, did he seem like it maybe was a, a little flustering for him or did he seem like he was pretty much had it under control and was just waiting for the right, right school to come along? Yeah, he knew it was a process. He knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. He had some smaller school offers and, some other D1s that he really wasn't interested in on the table early, but uh, I think he wanted to stay close to home, and he just kind of hung in there. And like I said, I don't I don't know why. Uh, I know the skilled players get 
get uh, recognized a lot sooner. A lot tougher for linemen unless they go to a lot of big-time camps, which I can't say didn't exist 12 years ago or so when he was in that position. Uh, there weren't as many then as there are now, certainly. But uh, he was almost uh, a little unknown until until the last month or two uh, before signing day. Yeah, that's, it's honestly kind of wild because when I went back and you were looking at his recruiting page, which the main one most people go to is at 24-7 Sports, and they kind of go through the background of, you know, anytime they have it in visit, whether it's unofficial or an official visit, and all of the offers. And I, I saw several schools on there, Iowa State, Arizona State, Indiana, Missouri, Texas, some of those obviously a longer way from home. So it makes sense that if he was kind of just wanted to stay close to home, Baylor was the perfect opportunity for him to go play football there. Um uh, one more for you, Coach, before I let you go. Did you talk to Billings throughout college while he was at Baylor at all? and Or even like when he was going through the draft process and getting drafted by the Bengals, did you have conversations with him during that time? Absolutely. And uh, I, I did travel to Cincinnati and watch him play. I went to Las Vegas to watch him play. And in about uh, November, I'm sorry, October 1st, I'm going to Chicago to watch him play. Oh, fun. So – uh, comes from a great family, and uh, you know the apple doesn't fall fall far from the tree. I'm sure you've heard, but mm-hmm. uh, we uh, have stayed in touch, and and uh, like to see him settling down somewhat, and got married just a couple of years ago. But uh, definitely has has followed him after high school, through college, and into the NFL. I love that. It has to be a really great feeling to just watch someone who you have known since middle school kind of develop through high school and then develop through college and then now be in the NFL and especially drafted. I know the the draft process for him, uh, probably not the most ideal because he did start to drop. There were certain conversations that he would possibly go in the first round and those fell a little bit, but he was still drafted by the Bengals and it was during a time with Marvin Lewis where they they he started really turning the Bengals around. So there were some success there. Um, so it has to be really cool to kind of watch player uh, a player be able to go through that whole process and you watch him succeed. Yes, and uh, it, it's uh, something that most coaches don't don't get do, don't get to do, don't have the opportunity to do. But uh, something that I'm looking forward to just here in a couple of weeks or so. Yes, Coach. Well, again, thank you so much, and I'm sure if anything we've seen from this first two weeks of Andrew Billings, you'll have at least a good showing from him. Um, on the other fronts, we're still trying to work on some things in Chicago, so we'll see how where they are at that point. But uh, Billings himself has really had himself a solid first two weeks, and Bears fans are really happy that he's on the team. So, again, thanks for joining me, and I really, I really appreciate it, and I hope you enjoy your golf game tomorrow. Thanks, Taylor. Looking forward to following you as well. Thank you so much, Coach. Have a good one. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that T-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. 
Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Thank you to Coach Herbst. Now I have our next interviewee. Um, You will know him. He was a former Bengals coach. He's been in and out of college football and in and out of the Pro Football League. And so now he is over in Arizona State working out there with some of the coaches. But this is Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis obviously was one of the guys um, that was for the with the Bengals for a long time. And he was able to kind of start to flip that organization into winning football games. Unfortunately, they weren't able to win a playoff game. Um, and that's kind of what led to the end of his time there. But during that time, you saw a lot of really good talent come in and out of the Bengals. And Andrew Billings was one of the guys that was drafted by the organization when – Coach Lewis was the head coach. So let's go ahead and jump over to that interview, and we'll get to know a little bit uh, beyond the end of college football and into his the start of his NFL career, and just maybe some of his thoughts in general of him being a defensive minded coach and what that uh, how he can how he sees the head coaching position maybe with Eberflus and around the league in general with these defensive guys that are now getting a lot of a lot of criticism. So here is Marvin Lewis. All right. Now, obviously, we are continuing on our episode about Andrew Billings. Andrew Billings has been so much fun to watch through the first two weeks of the football season for the Bears. There's not a whole lot on the defensive line to be excited about right now, but Billings is one of those pieces. And we are joined now by Marvin Lewis. You probably are recognizing Marvin Lewis right now if you're watching this because he is a former coach for the Bengals. Coach, thanks so much for hopping on with me. Oh, it's great to be here with you, Taylor. And I see the Arizona State logo because now, obviously, you're a part of that and the advisory to the coaches. Uh, what's your role over there right now? What do you, what's, a, what's your specialty? <laughs> well, my, my specialty is probably a little bit of everything, but uh, really trying to assist the coaches and whatever they need. Uh, uh, a lot of follow-up uh, with them on different things, uh, different questions uh, Coach Dillingham, the head coach, has and, and so forth. But uh, just trying to reinforce the things they're trying to get done here. Yeah, which um, I I know you've kind of been all over the place between college football and pro football, so I want to get to that a little bit later. But let's start with Andrew Billings. Um, Like I just mentioned, he's had a pretty solid start here in the start of Chicago in his first two weeks at Chicago. People weren't quite sure, um, didn't know a whole lot about Billings, honestly. When he came, he was kind of one of the underrated players because they were signing some big names like Tremaine Edmonds, who had been in Buffalo and kind of really made a name for himself out there. But Billings was a lot of Bears fans and Bears media kind of under the radar guy that they were excited for this season. And you were the head coach when Billings was drafted to the Bengals. Take us back to that a little bit, the draft process and when you were evaluating 
Billings and what you were seeing during that process and what made you want him to be a Bengal? Well, we saw a, a young man that had played very well uh, at Baylor. I uh, grew up in Waco and uh, was a wrestler. Uh, so he was a guy who played very well on his feet, kept his shoulders square, strong in the middle. And that's what we were looking at for the middle of our defense, particularly on base downs, uh, to have a guy like that uh, that could help control the middle against uh, the people we played in our division in Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cleveland. Yeah, which um, you let you when you think of defenses, those are a lot of the teams that you think of uh, when you think of that word defense, obviously Pittsburgh being a big one of those. But what so when you get to draft day, he started falling a little bit. There was rumors that, you know, a million mock drafts go around, especially nowadays when it comes to the NFL. And he was projected to be a first round draft pick in some of the and some of the mock drafts and people had him going as high as that first round ended up falling to the fourth, but you guys snagged him in the fourth. What do you think it was that kind of made him drop a little bit within those or, and um, some of those teams that miss on him? Well, I don't know. I, I think people are looking for always for different things, particularly at the defensive tackle positions, uh -huh. you know, have teams that are three, four teams and they're looking for more of the traditional nose tackle. Uh, you got four, three teams are looking for more of the tilt tackle. And then you have got guys that are looking for the vertical, vertical penetration guys. And, uh, you know, Andrew was, a, like I said, a guy that we knew that could play well on his feet and across the line of scrimmage, stay square, be able to stay on his feet because he's a good athlete that way. And the, the balance that uh, he had from his, his wrestling background and so forth. Uh, usually those guys that are, uh, explosive and disruptive as pass rushers go a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, there's a, the, our, my boss and owner there, Mike Brown would always show me, you know, data that said you could get defensive tackles in all areas of the draft. And I think that's true. Uh, yeah. Guys that are underrated and guys that are overrated. Yeah, and I think it's easy, too, when you are looking at these defensive players and you can look at a stat sheet and say, okay, they had X amount of sacks and X amount of pressures. And sometimes that doesn't – there's other things happening on the football field, obviously, that are creating – we usually say, like, wreaking havoc on the offensive – or the defensive line or offensive line, whatever that may be. And it seems like Billings has been able to do that. He did it at Baylor. He did have some numbers at Baylor, though. When you go through his statistics his, – his stats at Baylor, there, there was a lot of numbers that jumped off that page, especially towards a little bit later but when you're talking about defensive linemen coach because obviously I think a lot of people talk about those ends and those ends being the ones that are really getting to the quarterback but how important is it to have that interior guy who can also create pressure and kind of create a little bit of madness in the middle well yeah it's great to have a guy that can be disruptive and push the pocket and and cause issues when they leave him one-on-one -on -one. I mean that's the kind of guy uh, you want, you know, those are the creme de la creme, the Aaron Johnson or uh, Aaron Donalds, the Chris Joneses and the guys like that. Uh, you've had a number of guys there uh, in Chicago and, yeah. uh, you know, that have been able to do that. Um, but you mentioned uh, Tremaine, who comes over from Buffalo. And when you put Andrew, you know, uh, in front of him, that's real helpful for him to help yeah. to do that. <laughs> Yeah, those are definitely when you obviously surround guys with other players who can create. We're seeing that in Philly right now, just how much how stacked that defensive line is in Philadelphia, just because there's pieces on from end to end, which obviously we hope that eventually we're getting back to that in Chicago, because Chicago is known for their defense for the mo for a large majority of the years they've been around. So hoping to bring that back. Some of the stats I mentioned uh, for him in college, he was named the 
co-defensive player of the year in the Big 12, defensive lineman of the year, 15 tackles for loss, five and a half sacks. So when evaluating players for the draft, what are the, some of the things that you look for that are most transferable when it comes, when it goes from a college player to the NFL? Well, I, I'm not one, you know, uh, they might, that those stats you just read off might've been in my draft binder. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I see, I hear. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I want to watch, we want to watch the tape and evaluate off the tape and uh, feel good about what we see from him that way. But, uh, you know, you're right. He had a lot of tackles for loss, which means he is disrupting up front. And, uh, you know, they're playing in a conference down there that's wide open. Yeah. And so he's getting an opportunity to play against wide open passing teams that are running uh, the one back runs and the, and the read options and the things like that. So when he comes to the NFL, uh, a lot of the things now that you're seeing from NFL offenses, uh, he was very familiar with and things that he had seen that was kind of blocking seams and structures there uh, at, at Baylor. Yeah. So let's hop over to the the Bengals a little bit, because you guys drafted him that first year. Unfortunately, he suffered an injury and missed the entire first season uh, that next year. I believe he had seven starts and then was the full on starter. I want to say ha- started the majority of the season that following year. What did you see uh, develop and progress through those first three? Obviously, outside of that first year where he unfortunately didn't get to play, but those next two seasons with Cincinnati. Well, you saw a guy, you know, first off, working back from injury, which at times can take some time mm-hmm. and getting you're uncomfortable and getting your playing strength back. Um, and then that's what he was able to do and uh, and get back and be a productive player across the front. Um, so, you know, uh, it, it's always hard when a guy gets hurt uh, as a rookie um, yeah. because such an emotional letdown that he goes through and you, you're trying to uh, – have him just kind of relax yeah. <laughs> and get through the process yeah. and know there's a bright future for you. So don't get too down and be able to fight your back from those, from injury. Yeah. Which speaking of that, because obviously he was probably a little let down from the draft too, because like I mentioned, there was, he d- dropped a little bit from what expectations could have been. And then he also gets injured. How did he handle that when it comes to just the off the field Billings fighting through all of that, that adversity right away. You know, he did. Andrew did a good job because he did. He came in and he and he worked and rehabbed right away as soon as he was able to get back on track that way and uh, was around and uh, was part of the club, you know, and that's important, too, uh, because, you know, when you come from uh, Waco, Texas, like he grew up there, goes to college there and now you come to a different city. Now, in Cincinnati, you do have a, 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 a smaller type city in a great setting for, for, mm-hmm. for players, um, you know, that way that, uh, you know, they're not going to get overwhelmed by the size of the place. And uh, so that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, our people did a good job with Andrew helping through that, uh, helping through the PT, helping through the rehab and everything that he needed to do. That's good. And those are the positive things because it is hard when you're going through all of that, especially as a rookie. And a lot of these guys are coming out and wanting to prove prove themselves right away because they want to take this and be like, you know, almost a thank you to the team for drafting me. Let me show you what, you know, you didn't waste your pick on drafting me. And sometimes it's hard to fight back from that. But one of the things that I did read was his first sack that following year was on Patrick Mahomes. And then he later, a couple games later, ended up sacking Lamar Jackson. Two of the probably more difficult quarterbacks to get down in the NFL, especially right now. Uh, what do you think that, may, what is he good at that really transfers to him to be able to get to quarterbacks in general, but especially guys like that? 
Well, I, I do. I think it goes back to the balance we were, I was talking about referring to earlier. Uh-oh. Lost him for a second. We'll see if he pops back in. Um, well, part of this. He, yeah, it's, it's going, it's, it's very interesting to talk about Andrew Billings because I think that he is somebody who, um, let me take this out. Sorry, guys. We'll see if he comes back in. Um, but he, he's somebody that a lot of people back in, during free agency when he was signing really wasn't talking about it to the point where I did a ton of free agent podcasts and I went and I covered a lot of these free agents and kind of talked about, you know, where they came from, how they got there, what the Bears can expect from them. And I didn't even do a podcast on Andrew Billings. I had reached out to several people. No one really wrote back. And I wasn't expecting it to be this massive piece of of the line. I just thought it would be kind of like a little rotational piece. And it ended up being way beyond that. So, well, at least through two games. It's early. Um, so we're still waiting to kind of see how much of an effect he has this on a full season. But um, here's Coach. So we'll hop back on. So, yeah, we're, we'll see how much of a, a full season he can really – get um, add-on as we go through these couple weeks. Sorry, I lost you, Coach. <laughs> well, yeah, I think a call came through on my phone. No, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, so you were just mentioning how, he, how he's able to get to, especially quarterbacks when it comes to the mobile ones that can move around like Mahomes and Lamar. Well, it also shows that uh, obviously we must have had people on the edges doing a good job uh, of keeping him contained within that pocket. Uh, yeah able to get him on the ground but I just think his ability to understand the protection to find the soft spot and be able to make a productive rush inside and, and beat a one-on-one -on -one block yeah and those are obviously when we're looking at defensive lines which right now a lot of the Bears struggles and content this goes to last year we're against the run um, the run and getting to the quarterback, but it feels like there's certain times when you're trying to figure out which one is, which one's more important, and you like to have guys that can do both. Um, and it seems like Billings is one of those guys. Is that something that he was able to do pretty consistently? Is stop the run and create some pressure? Well, I think his first thing is going to be, you know, I mean, his his calling card's got to be being in interior there and being able to stop the run. Yeah. But I, as you know, as I said, he's a, a guy who is smart enough to have to learn. Uh, the tendencies of the offense, the field, the stances, know the formation, et cetera, where you know you're going to get a, a more likely pass, and then you can get some get off and so forth that way when he's out there on the field in those certain situations. Now let's talk about a little bit when you are evaluating these players, because as I mentioned earlier, you've been in college football. You started your career, coaching career in college football, was in the NFL with the Bengals from 2003 to 18, correct? So it's a long time uh, coaching the Bengals that you were able to have that experience there. And then now you're back in the, the college football world. So what are some of the differences of when you're looking at players and trying to build them and develop them in college, recruit these guys, and then now how it is when you're in the NFL and you're trying to develop these guys into the NFL and uh, kind of went on a team that sometimes has a lot of personalities and a lot of leaders. Yeah, I think that, you know, you're, you're looking for how that person fits into what you do. And, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to look forward and see how he can uh, become part of your football team and, and, and make you better in a certain area is what you're looking for uh, as you, you know, uh, evaluate and as you pre prepare for the draft. You want to supplement what you have already on your football team and make it better in certain areas. And so you're looking for younger players that can do that and have certain qualities that way. 
And one of the things, too, that I think we're seeing a lot, Coach, and I, I want to ask you this just because being a very defensive-minded coach in the in the NFL and in college football, there's a lot of criticism when it comes to the, the defensive coaches now just because I feel like the NFL, everyone is so offensively driven and want the, you know, all quarterback and all of this. Me personally, I guess it may be because I'm a Bears fan, but I love defense. So I'm like, give me a good defense, and I, I'm probably a little more excited, honestly. But – Eberflus, the, the Bears hired Eberflus, and he's a very defensive-minded coach, and a lot of people, they gave the Bears a lot of criticism for that because they had a young quarterback in Justin Fields that they do feel like needs to develop. But there's there's definitely there's definitely positives in having a defensive-minded coach at, at that head coach position. And so how are you, what are your feelings towards that, some of the criticisms of people saying the defensive minds maybe not work as, as well in the NFL, and what positives can they bring to a team for being a head coach? Well, I think, number one, they're hiring a head coach. Yeah. Uh, you know, coach Everfuse can go out and hire an offensive coordinator, which he did in Luke, and uh, and put together an offensive staff. But, number one, you want to get the right guy as the head football coach in that seat, and that's the most important thing, and then uh, go. But he's going to see things from uh, – he's used to seeing from what he was doing as a defensive coordinator for the years that he was, and he's been able to be helpful. Uh, to both his quarterback and to his offensive staff about what he sees, the strengths of the opponents, the weaknesses of the opponent, and how they do things, how they make adjustments and so forth. Uh, so that's really important. But the number one thing is, you know, you've got to become the head coach. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I think we all go about it differently when, when we, uh, you know, assume those roles. Yeah, and that's why I was honestly excited. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a defensive girl. I love to see a good defense in general. But I do. I think uh, we work very closely. I work in Jacksonville also for the flagship ja uh, station of the Jaguars. And Coach Dave Campo, who coached the Dallas Cowboys for a very long time, works with us here. And he's a very defensive-minded coach. And I love hearing him come in and break down things. Like when we're complaining about certain things on offense, he's like, no, you have to understand how we were seeing it from our side of the field. Like, you know, and he'll break it down. And it's so cool to hear that. So it's really, I love hearing the, the defensive side of it because I think that it is, it gives you a whole different view of what's happening on the football field. Oh, that's great. Yes, it does. You yeah. know, um, <laughs> yeah, there's 11 guys and, you know, uh, we all line them up a little differently, but at the end of the day, it's, it's how those 11 guys perform. Yes. Um, a couple more for you, Coach, before I let you go. So another uh, – a lot – the Bears have a very young secondary, and the secondary was probably one of the brightest spots on the football field last season. And like I mentioned, the defensive line struggled a little bit a little bit um, it, throughout the season last year, and it still kind of looks like there's some growing pains, but we're seeing glimpses from certain guys like Andrew Billings. But how much does it having that defense, that solid defensive line up front help each of the, the levels, the linebackers and the, the defensive backs – in the, in the well, there, there's no question that as you build your football team and if you build it from the front and uh, you're able to number one stop the run and keep the offense in more long yardage situations and be able to concentrate more on the, the passing game and force them into drop back passing and so forth uh, because of the you know keep getting them off schedule and not able to and that way you get an opportunity for the guys up front uh, that are paid to rush the passer to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback and allow the back end opportunities to make more plays on the football. Yeah. That, and that's what we want. We want to get after those quarterbacks. We want to limit their passes. And when you're, you see it a lot of times when you're adding, obviously when you're putting pressure on those quarterbacks and you're forcing them to make the decisions they don't really want to make, it helps on all levels of the field. And that's something that the bears have 
historically been pretty good about because once they once they're getting those pressures and they're swarming the quarterback, then the ball's coming out and it, their turnovers happen and touchdowns happen from there. And that's what we're hoping to see again in Chicago football. So, Coach, I want to say thank you so much for hopping on with me. I really appreciate it. I know. Um, how much are you still following the NFL now that you're back in the college world? Well, I do. Uh, I, I still uh, have some ties to some different coaches and so forth and people, and I'll they'll ask me to look at this or look at that for me. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of stay in touch in some ways. Is there any, uh, who are your favorite players right now to watch defensively in the NFL? Any guys that are really popping out to you currently? Well, I think a guy that's now going into his third year, Michael Parsons is, uh, it's been fun to watch since he hit the street there. And, uh, you know, you, you got Tremaine over from Buffalo, uh, who's had a great career. I honestly thought he would end up with his hand down as a as an edge rusher. Oh, really? <laughs> really? And, uh, I just thought he would just get too big for the position. But he's proved me wrong. He's been a fine player. And, uh, you know, now he's in the middle of the Bears defense there. So I mean, it's just fun to watch some of these guys who, uh, you know, that particularly if you were part of the process when they came out. Now there's not as many, but there's still a few. Yeah, and um, if you want to use the word disruptive for anyone, Michael Parsons is a person that you can use disruptive on. And obviously, Tremaine Edmonds, we are super excited in Chicago to have him. It's interesting because he, he is a massive guy. I, when I was seeing p- <laughs> clips and footage from training camp, I was like, I knew he was big because you could kind of tell. And, I, you know, what I did watch at Buffalo. But when I was seeing videos from camp, I was like, man, this guy is massive. And you can tell because when he's out there, he's definitely making noise. Yeah, no, he's yeah. a He's a big man. So, All right. Well, thanks so much, Coach. I hope you have a good rest of your day and good luck out there in Arizona. All right. Thank you. You're very well. All right. Thank you so much to Marty Herbst. Again, he is the head coach or was the head coach, now retired, but he was the head coach at Waco High School where Andrew Billings went to high school. And then that was Marvin Lewis, the head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals for many years. And uh, thanks to both of them, because obviously they give a little bit of an insight and they were around Andrew Billings on very opposite sides of his career. It's really cool to hear Herb still, you know, talking to him and actually going to a Bears game soon to watch him play. And that just shows those connections that players really are able to form with their coaches, no matter what level of schooling it is. Uh, So it's really fun. I'm glad I was able to talk to both of them because it is a little bit of a bright spot on this defensive line who we're I'm just still not totally confident in. And now uh, here we go. We are headed to Kansas City this weekend, and this week has been an absolute just whirlwind of things. Um, There's a lot of negativity on Twitter right now. I'm not going to be that person because I just feel like, number one, we don't know a whole lot of information yet about the Allen Williams situation. From what we know, it's health and family so we're going to leave it at that until other any further information is said. But beyond that, when it comes to Braxton Jones, major blow. Sucks so bad. Um, Braxton has his struggles, but now you are going to someone who I don't even know. I, I don't know if they – Darnell Wright has experience at left tackle. Maybe they'll move him over there and then try to fig, throw Bear, uh, Larry Bora maybe at right. I truly am not totally sure what they're doing yet. But the, it's a, a big blow to that line that's already – banged up that's already struggling um and i'm just ready for tevin jenkins to be back to maybe hold down the that the, the middle of that line a little bit and then uh kyler still is going to be out obviously the, i guess some positive news is it doesn't seem uh, the x-rays and information about eddie jackson seems positive he did not practice on wednesday from what i saw but 
I don't know the severity. They haven't said too much about that yet. Um, it does seem like Darnell Mooney, he also he was limited, I believe. So some of the, there's a little bit of positive coming out of this, but it's it was a long week. Um, you're going to face the Kansas City Chiefs. These guys win. They ha- they've had a slow start offensively to start the year. Obviously, you guys know that I work here in Jacksonville and I watched that game. The Jags were only able to score nine points on them, um, and that's another offense that was supposed to be very high powered. Granted, they've had struggles the first two weeks, also along with a lot of other offenses in the league. Um, but they could only score nine on that Kansas City defense, and the front was killing Trevor Lawrence. And I would say that Jacksonville's offensive line is better than the Bears' offensive line at, at this moment. So that concerns me a little bit. There's a, We're going to have to throw some extra guys out there to help block for Justin, but I do think it's just a matter of letting Justin free, and that's a lot of what this week was about. People saying Justin called out the coaching, but what he was doing was calling out the issues, and the issues start with the coaches. And I'm sorry, like that's – You signed up to be a head coach. You signed up to be an offensive coordinator. And if these guys were seeing regress, if we're seeing certain things that he was succeeding at last year, all of a sudden not succeeding, and it's because of something you've told him to do, that is going to come back to you. Um, So Justin clarified it later, apologized. Just saw a video of him and Luke Getze hugging it out and whatever. There's a lot of bad vibes out there. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not in panic mode. I am... Watching this team who has a lot of young pieces, a lot of new pieces, and yes, now there's some adversity thrown at them, So, but I also do think a lot of these guys have been through things like this. I, I think that guys like Jaquan, even young Tyreek Stevenson, Justin Fields, I mean, this guy from what he went through in college with the whole Georgia-Ohio State situation, um, he's been through these type of things. So I don't see this just completely knocking them completely back down to rock bottom. That's just my personal opinion. Now, if it happens... Um, I guess everybody on Twitter who's freaking out right now is right. I just don't see it going that way. But it is a very, very big test this weekend against Kansas City. Like I said, Chris Jones is going to be flying at Justin Fields. And obviously it's Patrick Mahomes, and we can't get to the quarterback whatsoever. Uh, That was one thing the Jags did have last week, was able to really pressure. They were able to get some turnovers. And so the Bears need to do stuff like that for them to have any sort of chance this weekend. But I also think they just need to let Justin Fields loose. Stop trying to keep him in the pocket. Let him run. Design some runs. Let's see those extra blockers out there. Let me see more Roshan because I love Roshan as a runner. But also he was one of the highest rated blocking running backs this last week. Um, pass blocking running backs. Let me see some more of that. Let me see DJ Moore down the field. Uh, Claypool, we saw in the end zone last week. Let's see some more Claypool in the end zone. I need some more Komet. Uh, things like that are all going to add up to hopefully some successful drives. One of the things that I did see from this last week in Tampa, I was at this game. So obviously when you're at the game, you don't, you kind of, I have to always rewatch because you miss things when you're there. You're focusing on your, especially I was sitting pretty low. So my field, my my view wasn't the full field of what you're kind of seeing on TV with the zooming in and all of that. But Justin Fields obviously right away drives down and, and they score. And that happened against Green Bay too. Between the first three drives in Green Bay and the first drive at Tampa, Justin Fields is 10 for 13 with 159 yards and the Bears have scored 13 points. And then they do it again later in both of those games where they're able to score late. Some reason it gets lost in between, and they need to find that. They need to keep some consistency. They need to obviously score in the second and third quarters or at least make things drive down the field, use some time, not three and outs, not punts, those type of things. Um, so all of those are issues that are I personally think will slowly start to get addressed throughout the season because, like I said, there's just too much newness, too much young that this isn't – I wasn't expecting this to click right away, and it's pretty much – 
people are saying this offense looks better worse than it did last year. I personally don't think so. Obviously, we had that stretch of four or five games where they were just super super high-powered and scoring a ton of points, and that's when it started to click. But that was six weeks into the season, and that was when they really started. Like, everyone was getting way comfortable, way more comfortable. But to me, when you're looking at how many times that they're at, the yardage that has happened in these first couple games and the defensive lines and defensive fronts and defenses that they're going against and doing that, I think that there are some positives to take out of it. But Luke Getsy needs to let, it, let, let Justin fly. Got to let him fly. So hopefully that's what it is. Uh, but anyways, thanks again. This is another episode of Making Monsters. And I hope that next week we have one of our key offensive players as a monster. Because at, at this point, it's been Trenton Gill and Andrew Billings, which love these guys. Super glad they're in Chicago. But I'd love to be able to rant and rave and brag about one of our offensive guys. So again, I'm Taylor Dahl. And this is Making Monsters. <laughs>